Well, once again, good evening to our Wednesday, well, welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible study, and, and good evening to you. And uh, really a sad day in the life of the Central Baptist family. Uh, I'm sure all of you have heard the, the news, and we are grieving the loss of our brother, uh, Freddie Kaseke. And... Uh, just looking at the scriptures tonight, I hope that the Word of God is going to encourage us and uh, perhaps even challenge us in uh, what God will say and, and even teach us through this uh, letter that Paul writes to the Romans tonight. I do want to encourage you to be in prayer uh, for Clotilda and the three children. It's uh, really a, a difficult, difficult time and, and season for them. Uh, especially the circumstances uh, that unfolded and, and the way in which our, our brother Freddie uh, passed away last night. But let me pray for us, and then I'm going to read the scriptures, make a couple of comments, and then we're going to try and uh, move through this uh, particular passage tonight. Lord, thank you for the throne of grace, your throne of grace, and us just remembering tonight that you are the omnipotent God, that you are all-powerful, and Lord, that it is a place of grace where you give out to us what we do not deserve. And so coming to you, just praying, Lord, continuously for your uh, hands of mercy toward us, uh, shaping us and, and leading us, and, and Lord, even using us. And coming together tonight, Lord, and as we look to the Scriptures tonight, may we uh, find encouragement. May we see something of uh, your purposes that are unfolding and that ought to unfold even in our own lives. And so as we share together, Lord, we're mindful of Clotilda, uh, mindful of the three children and, and even the extended family. And, and Lord, praying for strength, praying that your Holy Spirit would be their portion, strength. Uh, carrying them through this time of grief and heartache, we pray. And asking this in Jesus' name, Amen. Now just a, a comment about Romans uh, 15, and going to be looking at the passage from verse 14 onwards. You'll notice as I read the passage, the Apostle Paul begins by commending the Romans, basically saying to them, you guys are good guys, you, you're, doing, you're doing okay, you're doing all right. But that doesn't mean that there hasn't been a need for him to speak boldly to them. And having done so, unfolding uh, the entire book from chapter 1, teaching them and reminding them of some good doctrine, and even in recent chapters, the application of that doctrine. So you have a, a commendation of them in the course of their lives. You have the Apostle Paul saying to them, Yes, but in spite of that, I've needed to be bold in teaching. And then he goes on to, to explain uh, he's doing this because of God's call on his life in gospel ministry and, and how that has unfolded, what he's done, what he's doing, and even what he hopes to do uh, in coming days. And I want to try and analyze this passage tonight, and I am using uh, that uh, title tonight, a, a Life Well Spent. And I think it is a question that each one of us ought to be asking, need to be thinking about how we are spending this life that God has given to us. So let me read then from verse 14. 
Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. I want to introduce the study tonight and uh, just mention uh, a book, a book on preaching uh, written by the well-known evangelical Anglican uh, John Stott. And the title of the book is Between Two Worlds. So uh, what does he mean by between two worlds? Well, speaking to those of us pastors and others who are preachers and, and ministers of the gospel, uh, an example being, I am this evening required to teach the word of God. But to do that, I have to be in the word. I can't teach the word. I can't help others from the word unless I myself am in the word. Constantly seeking, constantly asking, what is it that God is saying through this enduring, this unchanging, this inerrant word that God has delivered and preserved for us over the years? And so we could say, and I would put this in my own words now, uh, as those who are believers, those involved in ministry, and particularly those of us who are preachers, we ought to have both feet in the Bible, both feet on the Word of God. But at the same time, and this is John Stott's point, at the same time, we cannot avoid the reality of another world. There's the world of the Bible, the context in which it was written, the people to whom it was addressed, that which was meant to them then. But we live in a different world. We are people, yes, made in the image of God, like those people who lived then, but our context is different. Our world, uh, world views are different. There's a, a different reality that we face day by day. We, we cannot, as preachers, as teachers of the Word of God, ignore this world that we're living in. And to use the example of what transpired uh, last night at the Arcadia campus of the Central Baptist Church, we, we cannot ignore the tragedy that took place. Here was a servant of God uh, leaving his family in the home. I understand Clotilde saying that he even uh, was so keen to get to the office, to get to work, that he, he didn't even eat his breakfast. 
wanting to serve a community, wanting to serve helpless and hopeless people, getting to work and never seeing his family again. It's, it's that world that we, we cannot ignore. So we have the word of God. We have the world of scripture. But we also, we also have this world that we're living in. And so both feet also need to be in this world. And as we stand with both feet in the word and, and both feet in, in the world, we want to try and understand uh, what is it that God is saying? What is it that is relevant? What, what is it that we can take from the scriptures? And as we come to this particular passage tonight, and the reason why I use this particular introduction, to ask the question, what is it that constitutes a life well spent? A man of 47, losing his life suddenly, unexpectedly, asking the question, reflecting on his life, was this a life well spent? But more importantly, those of us who are exposed to the Word of God, those of us who continue to have a responsibility today and tomorrow and as many days as the Lord will give us, is how are you spending, how am I spending my life? Will it be said of you, will it be said of me, a life well spent? We could put it a little bit differently. Uh, and my first point this evening asks the question, what does a God-honoring, productive life look like? What, what does a life well spent for God look like? Well, we come to Romans 15 and providentially this evening, and we are going to see quite a, a lot written here by the Apostle Paul uh, describing something of a biographical sketch. He's reflecting on, 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 on what he's doing, what God has done in him, and, and what he hopes to do in, in days to come. But he seems to sum it up when we get to verse 17. He says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Well, that's an indication that he therefore understands that his life has been a God-honoring and productive life for God. I have reason to be proud of my work for God. So what we want to do tonight is we want to look then, well, what has he been doing? What does he intend to do? And, and as an apostle, yes, he's fulfilling God's calling on his life. I do believe we'll be able, and this is what I want to do in the second half of the study tonight, to answer the question, to draw some principles and some characteristics. And well, how then can I know whether I am spending my life productively? And to put it negatively, not wasting these precious years that God has given me, has given you on uh, this earth. Thought of uh, having a 200 rand note in my pocket. And I... If you've ever felt maybe having a 200 rand note in your pocket, thinking you've got lots of money to spend, and then maybe a couple of days later, putting your hand in your pocket and discovering there are only a few cents left. And then wondering to yourself, what on earth did I do with 200 rand? It seems like I've wasted it. It seems like nothing 
useful or productive or good has come from this money that has been spent. It simply disappeared. It simply uh, evaporated. It has been spent. Of course, the the opposite could also be true. Having 200 rand in your pocket and a week later knowing that you've done something that you've saved up for and there's a particular investment that is going to bring good return into the future and, and sitting back in a week or two in a year and saying that 200 rand was well spent. It was not wasted. And so really to think of your life tonight as, as a, if I could use the analogy of it being like a 200 rand note and I would imagine surely we believers like the Apostle Paul want to know that when I reach the end of my life that it would not have been wasted that it would have been productive in God's economy in God's intended purposes that it has been a life well spent which is my next point simply I want to consider the Apostle Paul uh, In what he's saying in verse 17, we could say that, yes, here is a life well spent. We go back to the beginning of Romans. We know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, along with the other apostles, had been equipped and also commissioned, set aside by Jesus. And we have the record in chapter 1 and verse 5, through whom, through Jesus, uh, we have received grace and apostleship. So something has been given to them, but for a purpose, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So what was the mandate? The mandate, as he understood it, was very clear. It was the obedience of faith among the nations. In other words, this is another way of saying that they were set aside, there was a mandate, there was a charge given to to them to make disciples of the nations, to do evangelistic ministry, to do mission work, the kind of terms we would use in our world today. The reason, and he gives the reason, why this work is to be done for the sake of the name among the nations. So making disciples, yes, that's, that's the task, that's the charge, But on the other hand, the purpose of this charge is that the nations will will know and, and will be able to see something of the magnificence and the glory and the greatness of who God is for the sake of the name, the name to be exalted. So really what he's saying here is that this season in his life, he will be involved in missions in evangelism, reaching people, leading people, men and women and children, to a place where they will become worshippers of God. Missions will come to an end as this world comes to an end, but worship will carry on into eternity. Well, let's have a look at some of the details of this uh, unfolding of this commission charge as Paul reflects and gives something of a biographical sketch or or, or section in this particular part of Scripture of that which exposes his uh, life and and his work, and then saying alongside of that, how does my life measure up to that which he describes in, in seeing, in establishing whether it has been wasted or it's been productive? Well, I want to begin in just a, a bullet point. I want to consider Paul's work. He describes himself 
in various ways, a minister of Christ Jesus, a servant of Christ Jesus, verse 16, as one who is involved in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Notice the inclusion of the good news, the gospel of God, rejoicing that he's fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ as he looks backwards, verse 19, and going on to affirm that it is his ambition to preach the gospel as he moves into the future, verse 20. So how do we break this down into different aspects of work? Well, the nature of his work is that he is a servant, that he's not his own boss, that he doesn't just do his own thing. He's subject to his master. He's subject to that which Jesus has commanded him to do, commanded him to teach, and the way he's commanded him to live his life. And so the summary, as, as I understand this passage, the center of this message that his master has given him is in fact the master himself. It's centered in Jesus Christ. And even the method uh, he employs is that which his master used, which was that of teaching, which was that of authoritative verbal declaration. This is the truth of God. I'm delivering a message to you. I'm a messenger. I'm an ambassador representing my master. The scope of his work, verse 16, we see is among the Gentiles, those who were unbelievers, those who were pagans. And so he's going beyond, beyond his, his commission to go beyond the Jewish nation. And if we look at verse 19, his work was from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum. And that, by the way, is what we would know as Yugoslavia. And, and he's strategic. If you trace the steps of the Apostle Paul on his mission journeys, he's very strategic. He, he avoids uh, the temptation to build on someone else's foundation in his particular point and a, a, a place. And, and his ambition is to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. So he's a pioneer. He bra he's breaking new ground. He's sharing the gospel in new territories amongst new people. As far as his work is concerned, he comments on the power that enabled him that energized him. Perhaps we could even say the power that upheld him as he went about this very difficult task, sometimes against opposition and, and hardship. And, and, and in doing this, he, he knows and identifies that, that, that he's nothing more than an instrument in the, in, in the hand of God. Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed. In other words, I'm only going to tell you what God has accomplished through me as an instrument. That's all I am. I'm an instrument in the hand of my master. He's enabled clearly uh, by the Holy Spirit at work in him. Verse 19 speaks of being by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way uh, to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then, of course, in regard to his work, we notice also some results evident from his work. Uh, Gentiles were converted. They responded to the gospel. Churches were established and uh, continued to do ministry in their particular place. So just a little bit of an understanding of his work. We then want to look and say, well, what about Paul's heart? 
What do we understand about this, the inner workings of this man's disposition? And, and there's no doubt that he has a concern for the lost of the world. People who are under condemnation, people who have a destination which will be apart from God, a destination in hell. And, and so he, he relentlessly yearns for their salvation. He understands the danger that they're in. And, and so he wants to bring them good news. He wants to bring them the gospel. Passionate about the well-being of people's souls. Not just leaving them to their own ends. Leaving them to go to destruction for eternity. He, he, his heart is burning uh, for delivering uh, the, the message of the gospel for these people to have a right standing uh, with God. In verse 22, he says there that it was his fruitful ministry among the Gentiles that kept him from fulfilling his personal desire to visit the Romans. Now, do, do, do you see something of the heart here? He's willing, he's willing to keep his personal desires subject to the supreme task. God has called me. God has sent me. I have this message burning inside of me. There are people who are dying in, in, in lostness because of their sin, and I need to deliver and bring to them the good news. And he's not even satisfied with past accomplishments, and there was a good track record. He's not only, and he's not even satisfied with his present successes. Is There's a continued heart an outward-looking burden, as you read on, we didn't get to that portion, verse 24 in the passage, and he speaks about getting to Spain, another place, more people, more gospel ministry, more good news, uh, people to be rescued from condemnation and judgment, people to escape from the wrath of God. That, of course, extends to the Romans as well. And not just a ministry in the Word. Notice that the Apostle Paul also has a heartfelt interest and action toward those who are poor. Those who are living in squalor, poverty. Those in Jerusalem, it was his desire, we, we read, to minister to them and to do so in a practical way. Uh, verse 25, but present however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. And in verse 26, you can read about uh, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if, they, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they have also to be of service to them in material blessings. So that's something of his heart. We can't and should not gloss over what I've called Paul's plea. I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul was an extremely capable person in our estimation and assessment and understanding of things. And yet, this man knew that apart from God's help, he could do nothing of real value. There's a sense of incompetence expressed. This request that he brings in verse 30. Strive together with me in your prayers 
to God on my behalf. Do you get the sense of that? Strive with me. Don't just pass a kind of a thought when you think about it. The sense of striving is, is we're battling together in prayer. We're, we're coming before God. Uh, we're doing so uh, consistently and, and repeatedly and, and, and striving so that, that God would be at work in him. God would be at work using him. He speaks of uh, some of the specific needs. He prays that he would be delivered from harmful schemes of unbelieving Jews. He knows the dangers out there. And that his ministry in Jerusalem would be acceptable. And the prayer continues, not just for himself, but also for those in Rome. Uh, Verse 33, that the God of peace would be with all of them. So that, I hope, gives you some sort of insight, uh, a, a glimpse into the Apostle Paul as he just gives us this uh, biographical sketch, uh, taking us and bringing us to that place while asking the question, was this a productive life? Was his life well spent? Negatively, did he waste his life? Well, if we liken his life to the 200 rand note, his life was well spent. The answer, and, and, and again it's given to us as he writes to Timothy, as he gets to the end of this uh, ministry and, and work that he's been doing, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, kept the charge. He, he's, he's done what, what God required of him to do. So that brings us back to the question, what about us? And I want to say at this particular point in time, we're not apostles. The Apostle Paul, among with the other apostles, were unique, that they uh, saw Jesus, they were taught by Jesus, and they had a particular role in the establishment of the church in that era, the bringing about of the canon of Scripture, and God using them in, in mighty ways, and, and, and him even speaking of those uh, great wonders and, and miracles. So we're, we're not apostles. We, we, we understand that. But we are nevertheless servants of God with spiritual gifts that God gives to us. And so we want to ask the question, how much, it's my next uh, comment is, how much of your life is being well spent? I'm going to run through just a couple of things. What do we learn? What can we take from the Apostle Paul? Well, number one, the, 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 the very important question is, are you a recipient of grace? A person whose life is well spent has at a particular point in time an experience where he or she becomes a recipient of grace. That becomes the beginning. Paul received grace and apostleship, apostleship unique to him, But grace is common to all who believe. And so the important question, have you experienced the reality of what Jesus called being born from above, being born again? Uh, Have you received the gift of righteousness accomplished by Jesus through his work on the cross? And in doing so, have you repented from your sin? This is the gateway. This is the beginning to a productive and useful life. Are you sure? that you indeed are born again. 
that you, your heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. And these are just different descriptions and analogies of this, this journey that begins with being a new creature in Christ. And so to put it plainly, your conversion is the point at which you have access and opportunity to live a God-honoring and productive life. Putting it a little bit differently, without conversion, your life will be wasted. You cannot fulfill your purpose at all. Secondly, are you an obedient servant of God? Obedience in the use, primarily in this passage, as we look at the Apostle Paul, he had been given the gift of apostleship, and he obediently used that apostleship, that gift, in the accomplishing of the purposes that God intended for him. He had that gift. We have different gifts. He used, obediently used, those gifts. He was obedient to the word of God, to the revelation of God, to the teachings of Jesus. And so God too has given you and, and he has given me spiritual gifts to serve the cause of the gospel, reaching the lost and edifying the church for the sake of the name among the nations, for the sake of his name. And so, so we need to see here, it, it's not just those who are in full-time ministry, but any, any believing person, anybody who has come to faith, your job doesn't cancel your responsibility in the church. I'm talking about your secular job. It's, God gives you a spiritual gift, and that spiritual gift must be used. Your obedience in, in action, in serving the purposes of the master. Servants seek to please their master, not themselves. And so a life well spent is not organized around personal convenience or personal ambition. No, it's organized around the master. And what he has given you, the gift he's given you to use, and the unfolding of his purposes, while you having to do what you need to do in other ways, for example, a secular job. Looking at the Apostle Paul, another characteristic I noticed that can, must apply to all of us is, are you gospel-driven and Christ-centered? The Apostle Paul he was concerned about material uh, help of people. But over and above that, through that, in that, around that, it was always the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of Christ constrained him. And so it motivated him. And, and are we, are you motivated in what you do as a professing Christian by the love of Christ? And the love of Christ that we see demonstrated to us on the cross in the salvation he secured. Jesus came to save sinners. Paul's heart, we notice, was throbbing for sinners to be saved. The lost world to be reached. And so, is there some measure of concern that you have? Is there some measure of concern I have? For individuals and nations who are blindly blundering on to an eternity of punishment and separation from God. Are we moved in mission? Is there an outward looking focus? 
Another characteristic is that do you have a heart for people? People, uh, at least Paul, felt the lostness of people in their need for the grace of God. But he also had concern for their present material needs. And so do people, the people you know, the people that you have around you in community, the people you know in church, are you stirred with the particular needs that they may have, whether it be spiritual or material? Do you have a sense of inadequacy? We all ought to have a sense of inadequacy. But that sense of inadequacy should not stop us from getting on, getting on our knees, and as Paul did, pleading with others to strive before God on his behalf, on our behalf, giving us the help we need. Natural talent can be a curse if it gets in the way of dependence on God in ministry. And if you are a naturally talented and capable person, there's a real danger that you neglect to see your dependence on God. And, and apart from God, we can do no good thing, regardless of who you are. The work of the Spirit through you, the work of the Spirit through me, consciously, aware, daily, knowing that we need the enabling of the Spirit. And then just lastly, is it your daily practice and ambition to worship God. Is there that desire? Oh Lord, to worship you, whether it be in private, whether it be together with others, is that something that really uh, throbs within your own heart? I want to conclude, and I have a double conclusion tonight. It is a blessing to know that God forgives our sins, that he does not hold our sins against us because of the gospel, because of salvation. It's a wonderful thing to know uh, the blessing of sins forgiven, justification by faith, on the basis of the work that Jesus has completed. However, we need to think about the work we do as Christians. And I want to read from 1 Corinthians 3. Where the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Let each one take care... How he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, which is the basis. He is the basis of our salvation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose. In other words, you do good work on the basis of what Christ has done for you. In, in response to your salvation, as a result of your salvation, you're faithful to his calling, you're faithful and obedient to use the gift, and you're accomplishing his purposes, well, you're building with gold. But then he carries on. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now he's referring to, well, if there's fire to be tested, the analogy is, well, if you've built with straw and hay... Wasted. Efforts wasted. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only as through fire. And so I do ask again the question, if your life was likened to a 200 rand note, how much of it is well spent? And then I want to add to that, as I work through the study today, 
In our estimation, we would think of Freddie, 47 years old, uh, in our estimation, a life cut short. Was it wasted? No, no. And I'm in fact uh, going to screen a short video, it's only a few minutes, something my son sent up to me that he found on YouTube of uh, an interview that Freddie conducted with one of the pastors at Oosterlich. And, and, and within that, you'll see and hear something of his own testimony. But you'll see something of the heart. You'll see something of the work. You'll see something of the focus on the gospel of Christ. Here is a man who sought to fulfill God's purpose in his life for the sake of his name. So thank God with me tonight for our brother Freddie. And even as we grieve his loss and, and we share with Clotilda and we seek to support her and help her. But thank God for grace in the life of our brother that did not waste his life. And then after the video, the questions will appear on the screen. Do take a, a, a photograph of that if you are going to be meeting together in a group. God bless you. Let me pray and then Jay, if you'd run the video for us. Lord, do help us to search our hearts and Lord, discover those gifts that you've given us and, and to use them in ways that would be of great value, that would bring about much uh, uh, fruit in your kingdom for your name's sake. And, and so praying for each other tonight, Lord, we, we, we are, Lord, is in desperate need of your help each day, every day, in our own private lives, but Lord, also in the way we serve you out in the world. May we know the blessing and the strength and the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Just let's watch the video. Oh, in South Africa, and you actually come from the Congo. Yes. And there's a lot of people from all over Africa in South Africa that upsets a lot of South Africans mm. because there's hardly work for South Africans and now a lot of uh, people from other countries are here. Mm. Um, I remember in Jacob's Well when, when I was working with you and some of the other people in the same boat mm. um, I realized that I had a bit of antagonism and emotional difficulties working with people like yourselves but God somehow pulled me aside and said Harvey uh, you are very excited about South Africa what do you think I'm excited about and I had to say that God is excited about the world and then um, Jesus was saying to me that I should get excited about what he's excited about and I must get on his agenda and stop pushing my agendas. What do you What do you want to respond to that? Yeah, understandably, uh, uh, that South Africans are upset about uh, all these foreigners who have flocked into their land, and and we have to go back and see what is happening on this continent. Uh, Africa is in trouble with wars, with anger. And so a lot of people from Africa, not only Africa, even Asia, we have people from Asia and South Africa have flocked to this land because this land is so peaceful. And, and it offers uh, maybe some opportunities that they don't have in their own lands. And so South Africa uh, has been a, a, a place where all these people have, have come fleeing from wars and hunger 
and South Africans have, have been upset by that. And we really understand. I, I remember when I landed here some years back, uh, we could experience uh, that from South Africans. But uh, I think some of them are contributing, uh, especially in the kingdom of God. You, you go in the inner city of, of Pretoria, you'll find that uh, uh, there are a lot of churches, you know, that these people have, have planted and uh, investing in the kingdom of God. So, yes, South Africans are afraid of them because uh, among them there are, there are criminals, among them there are people who are, who are doing bad things, but God is changing them. God is changing them, and I think it's an opportunity for, for South Africans to really bring the gospel to these people, because many of them came in South Africa without knowing God, but now, as the gospel is being spread and the gospel is being shared with these people, many of them are changing and, 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 and coming to Christ and knowing God and, and start living lives that glorify God, and I think... Maybe that's the reason why they came to this land. Is that your story? That's exactly what happened to you. Exactly, that's what happened to me. I, I, uh, as I said, I left my country some years back, not knowing God indeed. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family, but had no knowledge of God. And uh, after two years, someone, a South African man, an, an Africana guy, came and visited us in, in our flat and, and then shared the gospel and, and that changed my life. And I think literally he knew that he has changed my life. God has used him to change my life. And, and a few years later, I've become involved in the kingdom of God and now uh, through Jacob's well, uh, I'm now sent into these communities and, and start sharing the word of God. And God is doing amazing things, amazing things, seeing people changing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, uh, and you're studying as well. Tell us a little bit yeah, about I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the word of God. I'm excited about the gospel. And uh, I've had an opportunity to study theology through a, a South African theological seminary where I'm studying theology. It's just exciting. You know, to learn more about the Word of God and to learn more uh, about the Gospel and, and, and just fantastic. I'm, I'm enjoying it, you know. And you are reaching people. You, you're not only reaching the French-speaking people in Pretoria, but you're reaching out to Afrikaners and to yeah. other South Africans. <laughs> and you're leading people to Christ from all over. That's fantastic. You know, South Africa, it's, it's, it's a land where you meet people from all over the world and, and there are some places in the world that you won't find people from all over the world like South Africa so South Africa it's a very strategic place where you can really do missions without going to all these places you know and so I'm excited to meet all these people from Asia from Africa from Europe and just share the gospel of Jesus Christ and see what God is doing it's so fantastic. Not only Francophone people, South Africans, we go in offices, in parks, and visiting people in their homes, and people are so welcoming, you know. And, and, and people are really hunger for, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know? Lovely. Thank you. And we wish you the best.